If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Before we jump into today's episode, we're going to take a quick break here from the sponsor of the show and we'll be right back. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to a hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talked to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own vet check pet urgent care center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We are back with another installment of the investing series, which we are going to do a deeper dive into um, different topics to expand investment knowledge, because that was absolutely something that was expressed that was of interest. And today we're going to talk about bonds. And bonds might not be that exciting, um, but there's a lot actually underneath the hood on bonds that is important to get through. So what is a bond? Uh, a bond is a fixed income instrument. So the term bond or fixed income is often used interchangeably, so they are one and the same. A bond represents a loan made by an investor to a borrower, and typically that is a corporate or government uh, entity. A bond can be thought of as like an IOU between a lender and a borrower that includes the details of the loan and its payments. Bonds are used by companies, municipalities, states, and sovereign governments to finance projects and operations. A great example is municipalities will use it to build roads or water plants or different things like that. And so on, owners of bonds are debt holders or creditors of the issue. Uh, bond details include the end date when the principal of the loan is due to be paid back to the bond owner and are usually it will include some sort of terms for variable or fixed interest payments made by the borrower. So let's say we do a 10-year bond for $10,000. I'll pay you 4%. You'd provide me the money for 10 years. I'd pay you $400 per year. Usually they're semi-annually, so it'd be two, uh, $200 payments. And then after 10 years, you get your uh, $10,000 back, assuming I did not default or go bankrupt during the period. 
and we'll talk a little bit more about credit quality here in a bit, but that's kind of the structure. And so it, it is pretty straightforward in that example, but it can get a little bit more complex. The initial price of most bonds is set at par. So here, you know, what's the par value? Par value is typically $1,000. The actual market price of a bond depends on a number of different factors, and we'll get into more of this as well. And this is where the complexity can come in, but it's gonna be the, the credit quality of the issue. Issuer. So am I the U.S. government or am I Isaiah's repair shop? The length until uh, expiration. So is this a you know couple years or is this 30 years? The coupon rate uh, compared to the general investment rate environment at the time. So are you paying 7 8%? Because right now that sounds pretty good, but well, maybe it's the Isaiah's repair shop that's not the, the best uh, issuer. And so that's why they're paying more because they aren't as you know um, reputable as another option. The face value of a bond is what will be paid back to the borrow, borrower once the bond matures. So the, the key thing about a bond is you're going to give that money away. You're going to get paid for something. And then again, as long as everything um, from the, the person that is issuing that bond is around, they're going to provide that money back to you at the end. Two features of a bond, credit quality and the time to maturity. Maturity dates can range from 30 days, which are considered treasury bills, up to 100 years, which 100 years is very rare. Usually it's only about 30 years. The name notes is applied to instruments maturing in two to five years, while bonds is typically 10 years and longer. Long bonds, if you ever hear that term, are bonds with maturities greater than 20 years. Um, the principal determinant of a bond's coupon rate is the amount of time to maturity. So if the issuer has a poor credit rating and the risk of default is greater, they have to pay more because they need to attract someone to give them money. Bonds that have a very long maturity date also need to pay a lot more, typically, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on. This higher compensation is because the bondholder is more exposed to interest rate and inflation risk for a longer period of time. Again, really important to, to drive that one home, especially in the environment that we're in. So there's four different types of bonds, corporate, municipal, municipal government, and agency, or agency basically stands for government affiliates, and there are varieties as well. Most, as we mentioned, are going to be fixed or variable, but there's going to be other examples of, uh, you know, like a, a variable yield might be like the I-bonds right now that the government are giving that are linked to CPI inflation to help offset that issue. There are going to be more complexities in bonds. Um, there are things like zero coupon bonds, convertible bonds, which mean you can take debt and then turn it into equity of a company at a certain point in the future or certain things happening, callable and puttable bonds. But again, most fixed income investors are going to see fixed um, rate debt, and it's going to be corporate, municip municipal, or government. And that's mostly likely what you've probably owned in the past or do own at the moment. Bonds are much more complex than stocks. There's a, an old Wall Street saying that when bonds and stocks disagree, the bonds are probably right. And the reason being is with stocks, there's always this like optimism. And with bonds, you know the structure of those deals. So you have to really dive in and do a lot of analysis because your upside is capped, right? The upside is everything goes well and you get paid exactly what you expect to get paid and you get your money back. There's no, hey, they developed this new product or this new thing and all of a sudden the stock takes off, right? So bonds are going to be much more um, uh, challenging to, to see any sort of higher return than, than kind of what you see initially. And there there is some nuance there and we won't necessarily get into all the different nuance pieces, but um, just to give you an idea, the size of the global bond market is about 400 trillion as compared to the global equity market, which is a mere, right? It's so much smaller, uh, 100 trillion. So the debt market is much, much bigger. 
bonds are not considered um, bonds that are not considered investment grade, um, but are not in default. So it means they haven't filed bankruptcy. Are called high yield or junk. High yield is a nice term. Junk is probably the real term of what they're called. Uh, again, these are bonds like I talked about before, like the Isaiah's Repair Shop. Probably would be a high yield or junk bond offering. And because hey, for anyone to want to give me money. In that example, uh, they're going to have to be paying significantly more. So what you'll see a lot of times in economic stress is that the high yield bond market or the junk bond market, you might hear, hey, it's blowing out. Well, those yields are skyrocketing or maybe they're starting to default. That's usually a sign of like economic stress. And so if you go back in time, the great financial crisis, there was in the high yield market, I think like 18% of those issuers went bankrupt. And so that is why um, as an investor, if you're going to put your money into high yield, it's like, okay, it's high yield and that's great because you're making more, but there's going to be some reason and rationale for why they're paying more. And typically it is the risk of, of default or um, bankruptcy. So bond and bond portfolios will rise and fall as interest rates change. The sensitivity to change in the interest rate environment is called duration. The use of the term duration in this context can be confusing, especially to, uh, to bond investors because it does not refer to the length of time the bond has been that the bond has before maturity, but instead the duration um, of how much the bond's price will rise or fall with a change in interest rates. So example, you've likely heard, hey, interest rates are up. We usually look at what interest rates are for like our bank deposits. So, you know, you think about like a high yield bank savings account right now is paying you next to nothing. Maybe it's a car loan, maybe it's a practice loan uh, and mortgages obviously is a hot topic in mortgages. A year ago, were you know somewhere around three percent. Now they're kind of close to five and a half to five, um, which is wild to see the amount of increase in uh, interest rates and what that does. So that's been bad for bonds in this environment. And so let's say that I own a ten-year Treasury bond, and rates increase by one percent. What is the loss on that investment if we assume a parallel shift in the yield curve, which basically means consistency? in all the durations of the bond. So the, the one year to the 30 year, they're all going to change in the same um, way um, from, from that standpoint. So 1% increase, that doesn't seem like a lot, but it is because if you guessed that a loss on that 10 year treasury bond would be a negative 5.4%, um, that's the correct answer. That's the return that you would get for that year. And right now, a 10 year treasury bond is paying you 2.875% you'd still get that income, but the price of the bond will be have to become cheaper as someone could go out and buy another 10-year treasury bond at a higher rate today than what your bond was that you bought it. Because again, the bond price has to adjust because the, the, the coupon payment, what is being paid from that bond will not change. And so put it another way, that negative 5.4% return, that's about one and three quarter years worth of income or about 18% of all the coupon payments that you're gonna get for 10 years. So, ouch, that's super painful because as a bondholder, there's no new product or changes and the stock's gonna rebound and you know I'm gonna buy the dip. Like the bond, like that, it is what it is. It is a fixed contract. So today, most investors are gonna own bonds via a mutual fund or an ETF. It's very rare that individuals are buying um, individually issued bonds. And so a lot of what I've talked about above um, you're probably not going to run into that because you're probably just going to buy some sort of product. And again, if you rewind back to our stock or equity conversation, mutual funds and ETFs, it's literally just the, the wrapping paper. It's the box that the, the gift is in, right? So mutual funds and ETFs, they're just the structure and then they can hold a lot of different things. So for you, if you're going to go out and own a fund that's going to do this for you, A, it probably makes sense. And B, to, to actually get 
uh, an individual bond, you'd have to be putting a significant amount of money um, to do that. I, I'm going back in, in time, but my first job in uh, finance was at Merrill Lynch. And the biggest client that we had had um, a good amount of money, I'll put it that way. And um, they were buying individual bonds still at that time, but it was in allotments of about half a million to a million dollars per purchase to get good pricing. So just to give you an idea, most people are not going to be doing that. They're going to be buying via mutual funds or ETFs. So it's important to understand what the fund owns, the duration, the credit quality, and the fees. In a world of low rates and muted returns from bonds, bond funds, the fees are going to matter more and more because that is going to eat into what your total return is. And it's going to be very, very, very unlikely that they're going to give you that historical, you know, five-ish percent return, again, nominal before you look at inflation. They've done in the past since kind of the Great Depression. Bond math returns are closely aligned with what the coupon payment is during the holding. So if I buy a 10-year bond and it's going to pay me 2.875%, that's likely what I'm going to make over that 10 years. That's the best case scenario unless interest rates are falling and you can trade it. And, you know, that is a little bit of what usually a mutual fund or an ETF is going to be able to do is maybe it's going to be actively managed or it's going to be passively managed. So that's another thing to understand with the uh, type of manager or the way that you uh, acquire that, that bond fund. There's an awesome article that was done by Greg Foss, who he is a Bitcoin advocate and it has a kind of a Bitcoin lens, but it really goes into depth and explains bonds because he was a 30 plus year bond trader and he actually worked a lot in high yield. So going back to kind of the risky credit um, kind of junk market. And so his experiences are really, really interesting. And he did a series on bonds and Bitcoin. It's a long, good read, but he has a co-writer that basically translates a lot of Greg's um, technical knowledge into layman's terms. I cannot re recommend it enough. And bonds, you know, candidly are always something I think is even difficult for a lot of advisors to understand, truly understand. And I am no different, right? It takes a long time to grasp it. And candidly, there's always more to learn. So I'm going to pull a couple different quotes and tidbits from Greg's work, just because I think it's important to share it. But I would highly recommend if you're interested, uh, it's a great read. And it kind of, again, highlights the idea of like what um, bonds and Bitcoin and how they can kind of be a partner together in, in different areas. So one thing you might hear is the yield curve, which again, is a very, you know, financially jargony term, but yield curves genuinely are upward sloping, implying that when I have a bond that has a longer duration, so 10 years versus a two year, that's a higher yield. And so that's going to be referred to as the term structure of interest rates. It makes sense. If I ask to borrow money from you and I say, hey, I will do that for two years or 10 years, you would absolutely want to be paid more for 10 years than you would for two years. And so that's really what the yield curve is. Interesting enough, when the yield curve inverts, so a two-year bond pays more than a 10-year bond, that usually is a trigger of A, an unhealthy economy, and usually a recession is Im imminent. And we had that happen somewhat recently. In the last six times it's happened, there's been a recession. No indicator is perfect. Crystal ball is always broken, but that's usually not a good sign because again, logic tells you if I'm going to give my money for two years or 10 years at 10 years, I should be getting more money. Often in fixed income land, you'll hear the term risk-free rate. U.S. government bonds have typically been called risk-free benchmarks and thus the yield curve in the U.S. sets the risk-free rate for all given terms. After issuance, there's a fairly liquid secondary market that develops also for bonds. So bond traders and bond trades are impacted by supply and demand due to such considerations as the change of interest rates, 
the quality of the issuer. So let's say I am Target and all of a sudden something happens and Target's not no longer a, you know, A plus lender. Now they're a B. Well, hey, their bonds are going to trade differently. So that, that would be an example of a credit quality change in market sediment. You know, risk appetite is going to change and, you know, things are going to happen. So a bond price is always going to be determined in the open market in over-the-counter OTC transactions between a buyer and a seller. Um, Greg goes into a lot of depth on bond math and the pricing mechanism behind it. It's not hard. He always jokes it's 11th grade math, but the formulas and steps are much easier to be walked through than talked through. So I'll leave that for those that are interested, but it really walks through like if this happens, this would be the price because it is pure mathematics as far as how bonds are priced, which is pretty cool because you can take a very, you know, you know, formula driven and um, structure to how those things happen. So there is some method to the madness, right? It's not like you'll see like those old, um, you know, uh, pits where there's all these traders and things and they're shouting, like, it's not necessarily like that anymore, right? Like there's a lot of um, math and, and, and structure to it. So finally, there are six risks to bond investing. So let's run through these. So there's price, the risk that the interest rates on the you know, bond will increase the yield and the market requires on all debt contracts, thereby lowering the price of all outstanding bonds. So this is interest rate risks. Default, this is the risk that the issuer will be unable to meet their contractual obligation and uh, you won't get paid. Credit, so this is the credit worthiness, the credit rating. Maybe, like I said, the example of Target going from A to B. Something happens, um, that's an issue. Liquidity. This is the risk that the bondholder will need to either sell the bond contract below original market value or market lower than the original market value in the future. So that's that's a that's a tricky one. Reinvestment risk. This is the risk that the interest rate on U.S. Treasuries are falling, which they've fallen basically for 40 years. So if I bought a 10-year bond at six and it matures in 10 years and I can only get it at four, and then I do it another 10 years and now it's at two, like it just continues to get less and less. And that reinvestment risk. Um, makes it where the money that you're going to have from those bond investments won't be as much in the future. And this is a really big challenge and issue for, let's say, someone that's a retiree, fixed income. I know, hey, I have a certain amount of money coming from my bonds. I roll that bond over, and now I don't get as much. So I need to have more money to put into that to get the same amount back. So reinvestment risk is absolutely a big one. And then inflation. The risk that the yield in the bond does not keep up with the pace of inflation, therefore causing the real yield to be negative, despite having a positive nominal yield. So you're always still going to get paid, but you're actually getting paid less and less because it's not going as far as it was in the future. Right now, inflation risk is huge. Um, real yields on 10-year treasury bonds are negative, and that is absolutely the largest risk out there. Reinvestment risk, also the same thing, and liquidity risk, all challenges for bonds. Those three, I think, are the probably the biggest today. Um, there was a Wall Street Journal headline after the first quarter of this year that read, bond market suffers worst quarter in decades. And for many, the safe money that they had in bonds, and we're told, hey, this is where you put your safe money, has been nothing short of safe over the last, call it 18 months. Obviously, um, the show I'm not giving investment recommendations on, but bonds are not as safe as what a lot of people um, will tell you and, and push in the current environment that we're in. They're trading with a correlation or a move alongside stocks that is definitely not yin and yanging. It's just yanging, right? And so, so many robo advisors and financial advisors have preached for years, hey, you want stocks and bonds and all of wealth management's been built on stocks and bonds. You want more risk, own more stocks. You want less risk, own more bonds. Um, that simply doesn't really work in an inflationary environment when the economy is not growing, which is called stagflation, which is really where we're at today. 
And so what you start to see is these historical ideas of how things have played out over the last couple, you know, 10, 20, 30 years doesn't work because all of a sudden we're in an environment that might look more like the late 70s, early 80s, or the period after World War II, which for most people, most advisors, yours truly included, if they aren't students of history, have never seen this environment. And so all of a sudden the, the stuff that has worked doesn't work. And they're like, well, what the heck? This always works. Um, but what's happened is since the early 1980s, interest rates have fallen. And so with falling interest rates, that makes bonds really attractive. Now, sure, there's little bumps in the road where interest rates would rise and it would hurt bonds. But historically, they've been falling and falling and falling and falling. And that trend for 40 years, it gets really tricky when you almost get down to zero because it has to either go negative and that causes a lot of other issues or interest rates have to truly be allowed to rise for the first time in a long time. And that changes a lot of dynamics. So if we see a recession, which is two quarters of the GDP declining, which is basically all the stuff that we make in the United States, um, Q1 was negative. Uh, I do think that we're in a recession right now. That doesn't necessarily mean like, hey, alarm bells, you need to run and you know, go to the bomb shelter, right? Like they're just saying, we probably are in a recession. Historically, U.S. government bonds have been the safe haven asset to own during you know troubling times. So great financial crisis. Um, the one challenge with COVID, so the, the March and April timeframe, um, U.S. Treasury bonds actually were not great for the issue of liquidity. That's the really interesting thing that's happened more recently is like there's just, there's no liquidity, there's no bid, there's no one on the other side to buy them. And history may repeat that, hey, government bonds, the safe asset, the thing that you want to own, and that stock bond kind of correlation and, and blend of that diversification works. But maybe it maybe it's not going to work because there's so much debt held by countries and businesses that have made owning bonds, I think, trickier and trickier than what it's been over the last 40 years. So as always, like if you have someone in your corner, talk to your professional team, understand why and what you own, how things work together. What are the pieces? What are the ingredients? How do they blend and how do they mesh? And just you know, have an understanding of, is that the right thing for you at the current time? So um, let me know what you think. You can email me at Isaiah at the veterinary success podcast.com, or you can jump into the Facebook group, post questions there. And uh, we will certainly be able to share, you know, links, articles, and, and information around this topic and many, many more. So thank you so much for joining me. Hopefully this was helpful and we will be back and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.